1: Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast starring Danny Moran as a Confederate cavalryman in the American Civil War, killed by his commanding officer, but shortly afterwards resurrected by Native American sorcery and given the power to speak to the dead. Bloody hell. The undead Danny Moran, assisted for some reason by me, a voluptuous prostitute, Hello. is soon called upon to protect the Fragile Union from his evil former commander and erstwhile murderer.
0: <sighs> bloody hell. Oh, hang on a second, wait, sorry, I'm
1: totally wrong about Danny what? there. I've confused him uh, with a zombie cowboy Jonah Hex. Oh man! From the 2011 uh, Josh Brolin flop. Kind of excited. In fact, he's just a normal person sitting around and talking about films with me, Sam Foster.
0: Hello. On this episode of Film Chat, we turn the madness dial up to maximum and take a left turn down the angriest highway we could find when we review Mad Max: Fury Road. And then I review my uh, favorite film, *Pitch Perfect*. Two. That's a big uh, *Pella* fan, is that that's, the
1: jingle? That's the opening jingle
0: for that's today. That's the opening jingle. Uh, we also take a look at the latest projects from David Lynch, David Brent, Danny Boyle, and Dennis Villeneuve. And there's just enough time for me to do my retelling of the *Epic of Gilgamesh*, which, despite being twice as long as the original, Katie has assured me will make the podcast. Mm, that sounds interesting.
1: Films, 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 lots of films, 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 movies, good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, last von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Boo films, films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films, short films, six hours long, we've got films up to We got a message from Chris last week about Mad Max Fury Road, which we'll be reviewing later in the show. Chris says, Hi, Film Chat, however you are. I swallowed all my masculine anger and went to see this film tonight. Here are my manly thoughts. It was great, relentlessly exciting, raising the stakes time and time again. Just when you think the action is about to die down, it cranks up again. For me, it's just the right side of exhausting. This is not least because of some really good characterization. I don't know quite how it happens, but with basically zero backstory slash exposition, Miller creates characters that you really root for, especially Theron's Furiosa. She is brilliant, steals the show from Hardy. Those pesky women! (sighs) He's referencing the uh, men's rights activist's anger. Over
0: Mad Max. Yeah, they're
1: totally Furiosa about that. Maybe we agree with Chris. You'll have to stay tuned to find out. Yes, which of us is the men's rights activist and which of us is the feminist, you know. One of us has to be one of of them. Otherwise, it'd be so boring we'd be agreeing with that all the time. Chris goes on. The bad guys, by contrast, are properly gruesome. As soon as you see them, you think, fuck the lot of them. The action is obviously great, although at times it looked like it was on fast forward. Just me. Also, the thing that was beautiful. You could pause it at any moment and the frame would be gorgeous. Special props to Tom Hardy's ridiculous, fake-sounding voice and the crazy guy with the guitar. It may go down in my estimation over time, but right now it's got me madder than a March Max.
0: Bloody hell. Better out.
1: have a cup of tea and off to bed.
0: Enthusiastic response from Chris.
1: Big thumbs up from the Chris
0: man. On a similar theme, Dougal McQueen has <laughs> come onto the sea. I don't know what I'm trying to do. It's spontaneous <laughs> rap. Uh, he says the following Dear film chat, some advice. I quite like to see Mad Max Fury Road. I love petrol and sand and heavy metal and seeing big trucks go arse over tit. But I'm worried about all this talk of it being feminist. I hear it's got Carl of a catwalk-style slave women and a milking room for pregnant lasses. Sign me up! But then someone told me that all that stuff might be ironic. Please tell me it's not, because I couldn't deal with another film playing radical lesbian communist dogma. Not after Drive Angry 3D. Also, Amy Blunt, what are you doing
1: at Cannes without high heels, you dozy mare? Love you guys. Um, well, I guess he's looking for advice as to whether to see the movie or not. I mean, I think... You'll have you- to stay tuned to well, find out. I don't know if it's too much of a spoiler to you, say that if he's worried about it being lesbian communist propaganda, well, it probably isn't.
0: Probably isn't that, no.
1: But it does have a milking room for pregnant lasses. Yeah. So I guess that's a thumbs up on both those counts for him. So Chris and Dougal are the only people who gave a shit about us this week. So let's uh, gloomily move on. (laughs) Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. Emma Chamberlain's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid, Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. So, Sam, tell me some news. Tell me some news right now. I'm sure you are pretty keen to know what Ricky Gervais has been up to recently. I always am. Every new thing he comes out with is better than the last. That, the <laughs> one, is, that's the one constant in his life. He is on upward trajectory. It's become almost a straight line. I just want to know when he's going to peak. I mean, he when? started so strong and he's just gone up and up. I, I mean, thought the office was good. And then I saw uh, Extras. That the invention of lying. It's just uh, absolutely lies amazing. too short. Derek.
0: You can't see the hand gestures I'm making there, but it's hand over hand over hand. Not underhand.
1: Yes. It's climbing. Yeah, absolutely. He's just climbing hand over hand. So, Ricky Gervais is going to be back on our screen soon uh, with a um, big screen take on his David Brent character from The Office. Fantastic. The man who made him. The, uh, the movie is currently titled Life on the Road and it's set for an August 2016 release in the UK. So, you've only got, you know, 14 <laughs> <laughs> or 15 months or something like that until it arrives. Uh, Marvelous. Till it arrives. Count down the day, Sam. On tenterhooks, the press release for this film. Reads as follows. Now working as a rep selling cleaning and ladies' personal hygiene products up and down the country, Brett hasn't given up his dream of becoming a rock star, or more specifically, singer-songwriter for fledgling rock band Foregone Conclusion. As he assembles a group of mercenary session musicians, that's probably great, like that's a goldmine for hilarious minor characters, right? A talented sidekick for street cred, and an overpriced yet underwhelmed tour manager, he embarks upon a self-financed UK tour coming to a venue... Very what coming to a venue near every major city near you. So oh I see. Are we excited for this? I mean the office <laughs> was actually pretty good. The office was obviously is brilliant. The office is great. Ricky Gervais is like the M Night Shyamalan of
0: comedy, right? Yeah, Everything that's he's a good, done, That's a good way to describe every, his, every project he's done subsequently has been slightly less. Despite what we just said, it's just got shitter and shitter. Maybe actually maybe invention of lying is is worst thing he's done. But in terms of his TV shows, they've just got less and less funny. Yeah, less and less. That's a good comparison good.
1: because um, Sixth Sense is a great movie, and Unbreakable is pretty good. Yeah, and similarly, The Office is a classic comedy, and Extras also has its moments. Yeah, it's also quite funny. And then uh, since then, he's done a number of um, things which have been more dubiously received. I haven't really been like uh, following his career too closely, actually. But ba- mainly, I've just seen him on talk shows and things like that, being quite irritating. Just cackling. Yeah, his ca- I've, his cackle is too annoying. He's got, a, he's got a David Brent character cackle, you know, but he uses it in real life.
0: Even if he had announced this right off The Office, when his opinion of his comedy is at its highest, it still seems like a bad idea, mainly because The Office ended brilliantly. And also, I think part of the success of that show is, uh, I couldn't take it was just about David Brent. You need, like, Tim and, uh, is it shit, Dawn? dawn sorry i was gonna say daisy but that's uh spaced yeah yeah Yeah. tim and daisy (laughs) tim and dawn and like gareth you need to like the like the sweetness of their relationship to like counteract yeah just the the constant constant embarrassment of god
1: cringy behavior yeah yeah exactly so
0: like 90 minutes of brent i think is just a bad idea well the thing no matter how good it is in the
1: office he is for the most part a pretty unredeemed character and the other characters bring the human relatable moments to it yeah but if he's the center of things then they've got to somehow dredge some human interest out of him which you know you don't want to see because he's a really unlikable man
0: also i mean can you make a better mock documentary than spinal tap about musicians obviously
1: not that's a high bar to clear why try well he's never one to shy away from an ambitious project ricky gervais so i guess we can applaud (laughs) that (laughs) Applaud that Um, So not looking forward to that one. Not looking forward to that one. Listeners, so
0: in uh, more exciting news, (laughs) David Lynch is back doing Twin Peaks season three. He had said he'd pulled out for uh, budget reasons. Yeah, he went
1: went a bit hot and cold on the Twin Peaks series.
0: Yeah, everyone was like, no, there was a great um, viral video of all the former cast members saying Twin Peaks without David Lynch is like water without water. Quenching your first, all these random poetic lines. Did I you didn't see, this? see it. No, I didn't see it. that. Sounds it's great. It's kind though. of great, but he says he's back on. So Lynch is helming it. Which it who's, seems... t- who's
1: doing it? Is it Netflix? It's Showtime. Showtime.
0: Yeah. Uh, part of me thinks this is just he was in a posi- he was in the better bargaining position. Yeah. Like the rest of the cast had signed on. They showed you know loyalty to David Lynch. Yeah. And it's like like, it... like we have to get him back. It's yeah. Like absolutely. Well played, Lynch. Yeah.
1: He. J- it's like what Harry Shearer is doing with The Simpsons. Yeah, He'll be back in two weeks with, like, a salary twice the size. It's it's prob- probably. Probably. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I'm so excited for it.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be good. I mean, you know, I, I believe in Lynch.
0: This could easily just turn into a Twin Peaks love But it's just amazing that at some point David Lynch had a mainstream television show. It is, yeah. And it's uh, such yeah. a weird... And it was so big and everyone saw was excited about it. And so it's just exciting that, that you know, even 25 yeah. years has passed and it's been the golden age of TV, but that's still, like, ridiculously exciting. I, I think that
1: the the fact um, that TV such is in such a good position at the moment kind of bodes well because they seem more willing to take risks and do things which have niche audiences and things like that. So hopefully yeah. they'll give him free reign to include all the strange dream sequences and 50s, you know, song interludes that yeah. he wants. So... Um, Cannes Film Festival continues to uh, rumble on. It's coming to a close as we uh, speak. It probably will actually have closed by the time you hear this. Yeah. But the big story of the week has not been film related. It has been dress code related. Yep. There were some reports of uh, women being turned away from, I don't know, a premiere? Premiers, the red carpet. Premiers, the red carpet for not wearing high heels. Awful. And a great deal of furor uh, was caused by this. People yeah. like that's incredibly sexist, which obviously it is. And um, is
0: it? Yes, it
1: is. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> and the the dress code um, says that it needs men need to be smart in like black tie, and women need to be like smartly dressed or something like that. Yeah. And according to the films, uh, the film festival organizer, um, it was simply the result of an overzealous bouncer interpreting the rules as meaning that high heels are an absolute requirement when in fact they aren't. But I mean. I don't know. I'm not totally convinced. It's no. not something that should happen, really, is it?
0: No. I mean, who is this bouncer? <laughs> Why
1: is he? And
0: how long and hard has he studied the dress code yeah. and interpreted it?
1: Maybe it's just that he's looking into the. He, you know, he looks into a woman's eyes, and he, there's no sign of like pain or discomfort, and he's like, obviously, she's in flats. That's, Maybe he's like, that's not right. I'm looking anymore. at your ass, but it could look better. And Emily Blunt, who's the star of uh, one of the movies there, was protesting about it, unfortunately, she didn't then like wear flats in protest. Yeah. And there was some talk as well that um, her co-star and director in the movie that she's doing there, she's doing a movie called Sicario, directed by Denis Villeneuve and um, co-starring Patricia del Toro, there was some talk that the two men were going to wear high heels to the premiere of that movie. Oh, cool. But then they didn't, which is a bit lame.
0: Speaking of Emily Blunt, we had her chicken noodle soup last week. It was absolutely delicious. Yeah, I'm
1: sure our listeners have been very keen to find out what we thought of Emily Blunt's chicken noodle soup. Which it we, was really good, it was guys. It was really fantastic. It was really fantastic. Yeah, it was a real treat for me. So I want to thank, I want to take this opportunity to thank you, Danny, and to thank you, Katie, for preparing that soup. Don't thank me. Thank Blunt, and I want to thank you, Blunt. So, <laughs> <laughs> principled, feminist, excellent cook, the perfect woman. Feminism is obviously going to be a bit of a theme for this episode because of them. It's uh, always mash a theme coming up when yeah. film chat
0: is talking. Yeah,
1: because we are
0: just not dicks.
1: We're progressive champions. <laughs> um. <laughs> No, don't don't snort uh, We're derising. fucking heroes. Don't snort derisively that Katie. It undercuts me But
0: We're really important to yeah, the we're re- conversation. We're just really important, aren't we? <laughs> um, speaking of Dennis Villeneuve, we've already learned how to pronounce his name.
1: <laughs> Vill- Villeneuve? Villeneuve? I think Villeneuve is probably right. Villeneuve. Denise Villeneuve. The director um, of Prisoners and Prisoners Enemy. Didn't and they make that? And, he,
0: uh, what the film you just said, Sicario. Sicario, yeah. And he's also the director for Blade Runner 2. Yeah. And he has enlisted the man who shot prisoners, which is industry legend Roger Deakins, to be the DOP. Yeah, he's worked he, with the Coen Brothers and stuff. He does uh, Shawshank Redemption. He did the assassination of Jesse James. He's like uh, on that list of people who are amazing who have never won Oscars, but get nominated every year because they're consistently brilliant at their jobs.
1: Yeah, he's been nominated like seven times or something like that. Yeah,
0: like more than that, like over ten. Hmm. Uh, so shut up, Sam. You don't <laughs> know what you're talking about. But... Um, it's exciting stuff because I'm not a huge man of blade runner I don't think it's that good but one of the reasons people come back to it is the look of it and the design and uh, the original cinematographer Jeff Goldblum no nope. the original cinematographer Jordan Cronenweth or Cronenweth or Cronenweff? I don't know how to pronounce his name but he's been dead for 20 years so he can't do so it so they couldn't
1: they asked him but he's just been dead for 20 years <laughs> he's dead for 20 years so he couldn't do it
0: so this is a good uh good sign I think He's going to do an amazing job. He's going to make all the
1: cityscapes look good. He's going to make the rain look good. I sort of feel like not that. Um, like, Blade Runner 2 is one of those sequels that I feel could be good. Because the original Blade Runner, as you say, it's a kind of. It's all about the mood. It's this kind of moody tone poem film in which not a ton of stuff happens, or at least it's not very clear why it happens or what's going on. Yeah. But it's got a cool atmosphere to it that you kind of soak up. And it's not like the world of Blade Runner is this incredible canon, and you can't revisit it without desecrating the original or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's also, yeah. Um, obviously there's a financial component to it, but it's not like we've got to make that sweet Blade Runner money. It's not like, it's not like a franchise. Uh, Denis Villeneuve is a very respected director. Yeah. I, don't, I just can't see Harry Ford signing on for another revisiting his old role for just like, the money. Okay, he's, just, he's just you know?
1: reliving the 70s, but in this decade instead. <laughs> That's yeah, pretty much what's happening. I
0: can't wait for a spin-off from his character from the conversation. That's gonna be a great movie.
1: I wanna see um a sequel to Frantic. He just still can't find his wife.
0: How about Air Force One Two, but he's like on the presidential. Is like, it called space... Air
1: Force One Two? For like <laughs> Yeah. Like a sort of roadie <laughs> testing a microphone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's on the
0: he's on the official presidential uh, space rocket. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. Terrorists get on board and they think he's escaped. He's space Force state...
1: Space Force One. Space Force One. Branson's got it on <laughs> the, the official like, presidential rocket Get off
0: my spaceship <laughs> And he blows Gary Oldman's son I Ab- presume
1: Ab- Ab- <laughs> 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 oh, uh, Gary Oldman can't be in it
0: Well he Why got killed, he, be... he was the villain He got killed in the first one wow. So I'm I'm just figuring ahead that his son's avenging his father's, father's death, death yeah. So they get Gary Oldman's son He's actually got a son So I don't know if he acts
1: So he has a son in real life <laughs> yeah. so, that, so that makes perfect sense We get film.
0: Alfie Oldman um, to yeah. be in the movie Playing the son of the character his dad played Yeah and Harrison Ford kills him in space.
1: Yeah, that sounds much better than Blade but Runner in 2. In space,
0: to nobody can hear the star smangled Banner, but I'll still sing it.
1: <laughs> Beautiful. But I'd still call it Air Force 1. Either Air Force 1-2 or Air Force 1-A. You know? Space Force 1-2? Air Force 1B, <laughs> something like that. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off.
0: So, Pitch Perfect 2. My review-hoo. That's how I'm going to do my entire review. Oh, I can't wait. So, um, the plot. So, in the first Pitch Perfect, uh, Anna Kendrick joined this college... She got inducted into the a cappella group, the Barton Bellas, and her, along with some misfits of different ethnicities, sexual orientation, and weight, they came together, and they, in fact, they harmonised, Sam. You see what in there? I yeah, harmonized. Nice, yeah. And they won some kind of competition thing. So the sequel is three years later. They're in their final year. They've been, just come from success to success, but uh, during a prestigious performance where the president is in attendance... Oh, my God. Rebel Wilson's character, Fat Amy, has a wardrobe malfunction, which causes a huge scandal. The acapella community is up in arms. They like they've like you brought shame to the community, and they are aca outraged. They are aca pissed off. So they're banned from doing their performances, and due to reasons which are a bit convoluted, and I wasn't really paying attention for, and I've forgotten. They have to win the world championship to gain their uh, respect of their fellow, their 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 aca friends, their aca friends. Yeah. So this was uh, perfectly enjoyable. Pitch perfectly enjoyable.
1: Have you s- <laughs> um, <laughs> this review is gonna It started so well. It's be, it's <laughs> so gonna, well, I can't wait to hear what comes next. So, um, did you like the first pitch perfect?
0: Yeah. What was good about it, I thought, is there's a whole comedy genre which is just doing a comedic take on a sports plotline. It's like there must be for every sport like a film where there's a group of misfits who all suck at this sport and they come together to be good at it. You know, or like Dodgeball, or dodgeball Mighty Ducks, Little Giants. And I don't know. There's like a billion of them. A lot of them in the 90s. I think it was a big 90s thing. Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of interesting that it was like a female version of that story. With mm-hmm. the exception of maybe like Bring It On. Like it hasn't really been. That's kind of more like a yeah. sports bros kind of drama.
1: Yeah. And it's also kind of, uh, there's something kind of embarrassing about it. The only female coming into like the cheerleading movie. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's kind of embarrassing. And uh, what was kind of good about it, the whole acapella plot line. Maybe this is why the appeal of. Um, Glee as well, was that the idea of those movies about uh, not changing who you are, being a misfit, but also being part of a team works better in the genre of singing where you have to have solos and you can emotionally express yourself through your voice. You can't really emotionally express yourself while playing ice hockey or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of worked. And it was like uh, a bit sharper, a bit wittier than most films of that genre. But the actual plot was pretty standard. I mean, it's like, she starts off, she doesn't want to be in the group. It's like, by the end, she's going to be in the group. They're probably going to win. You know, there's nothing surprising about it. Yeah, yeah. And in a similar way, this is just exactly the sequel you think it would be. It's actually just the same plot as Mikey, uh, Mighty Ducks 2, but with singing. Oh, really? By which I mean, like, they've got to have fresh recruits, and they've got to up the stakes, so it's now international. And there's also... there's has got, got some a, creepy Europeans to be. There's got to be a vaguely European, Hitler-Yuffie kind of villains in it. Yeah, didn't we? We've already talked about Mighty Ducks 2 on the podcast, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, Mighty Ducks 2 is a big uh, seminal film, it seems. Yeah. So, basically, it's kind of rough around the edges and a bit lazy at times, but it's just, there's enough in it that works. The performances are really charming. Anna Kendricks is really good, though she's slightly too old for it now. I feel like she should be playing, like, adult women. Yeah. She's still... She's like, 29. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, Rebel Wilson is hilarious in it make a lot of jokes about her being fat and a bit uh, flatulent, scatological humour. Does it, like...
1: uh, I mean, on the one hand, it's obviously positive for someone like Rebel Wilson who doesn't look like the traditional female, you know, lead in a film to get these kinds of roles. But at the same time, is it somewhat embarrassing that, that, you know, she's always the butt of the joke about being fat or something? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, mean, if you have, like, Jonah Hill in a movie, like, there's probably... In something, like, super bad or whatever, there's probably about five jokes about him being, like, fat and weird, and then, like, the rest of the time he gets to be normal. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: That's, like, part of a larger problem in that there are bits of the movie which seem quite um, sharply written and, like, quite well observed, and then there's just a lot of, like, slightly lazy stereotypical characters. Uh, the villains of the piece, called Das Sound Machine, are, like, this uh, evil German, like, ruthlessly efficient autonomous yeah, yeah. group. and it's, like, Humulus, are they? Humulus, yeah. And yeah. it's, like... They literally just for- wrote that word, like, german Das assumption. And that's as far as they went, like, bothering to think of jokes <laughs> or that thing. And it's a bit like, oh, it's the lazy German stereotype. And it's like, the rest of the movies, there's a like, lot of inventive lines. So you're like, why isn't that level of wit extended to... national like, stereotypes. Well, like, they're just part of the plot, you know. They're just yeah. there for plot reasons. So they don't really bother thinking of anything imaginative with that bit of the movie. Right. And similarly, there's... Um, this quite laboured joke about one of the members of the group being uh, she's in fact Guatemalan, but they keep on calling her Mexican. She's always making jokes about how she's going to like die soon and how her childhood was terrible. And it's like, oh, you know, we, yeah, you yeah. know, and then like, so it was a bit inconsistent. And also, there's just like no real stakes. It's like it has the problems all sequels have in that like they've just sort of done the emotional arc. So it's just like the band's back together, but they never really broke up. It was like, every scene was like, this isn't surprising at all, but it was kind of a perfectly charming cast, and it was like, an yeah. all-female cast was kind of interesting.
1: And it's directed by Elizabeth Banks, right?
0: She's really funny in it. She plays the commentator of the a cappella group. Yeah. And she's like constantly being paired with this incredibly inappropriate is she man. Doing, is
1: she doing the same voice she does in the Hunger Games series? That
0: would be, that would be <laughs> the best thing. If only. Um, there's very little to say about it, really. As you can
1: probably, t- probably tell. It's exactly yeah, the it's movie. A very, it was an excellent, excellent, concise review.
0: I've heard like a lot of reviews of, um, they're a bit down this movie. And I think if I had been like a really hardcore fan of Pitch Perfect, I would have been perfectly satisfied, but maybe a little bit disappointed because it hasn't really done anything new. Yeah. But I don't really care enough. <laughs> so I was perfectly happy just to sit there and laugh at all the good jokes and sort of roll my eyes slightly at the slightly shadow jokes. There's a good joke about how the German team are really perfect and Anna Kendrick tries to, like, they have, like, all these sort of um, trash talk to each other, but uh, they keep on complimenting them by mistake because they're just too perfect. I don't know. And I was like, that's a funny running joke. And then there's, like, the Mexican woman who's constantly talking about a deprived child. And it's like, ah, what are you doing, movie? It's like, how can you be aware enough to make jokes that funny? And then, you know, I don't know. I'm just repeating myself.
1: Ooh, time for a break film chat have a cup of tea maybe make a quick snack and telephone
0: a friend so you know where she's at right, enough now. back to film chat Wait, a movie with even more women in it this week could it have happened well not really it's probably more women in pitch perfect there's
1: probably more women in pitch perfect but there are some
0: women in mad max
1: there's there's more women than some people might have expected to be in mad max in mad max so more than one Yeah, so Mad Max Fury Road, that's obviously the big movie of the week, although it it opened below Pitch Perfect 2 in the US, um, much to many people's surprise. This probably cost about 11 times what the (laughs) Two got to make. But yeah, it's had an incredibly rapturous reception from absolutely everyone. And maybe it's because people's expectations are a bit lowered because it's a sequel coming many, many years after the last one and it had a lot of delays and the production... Uh, was long and arduous, and it was like three years since the um, film was shot before it came out, so all that kind of thing. So maybe people weren't expecting that much from it, um, but people have absolutely been blown away by this movie's combination of spectacular car stunts and sad. Um, <laughs> so the, the plot is mainly an excuse to get some crazy-looking cars chasing some like other batshit-looking cars, um, but for what, it, for what it's worth, it opens with our hero Max, Mad Max, it's played by Tom Hardy, and he's a wanderer through a classic like post-apocalyptic um, desert wasteland. He gets captured by a tribe of fanatical bold men led by the warlord Immortan Joe, the first of many excellent character names. Yep. When one of Joe's lieutenants, Imperator Furiosa, played by Charlize Theron, goes rogue and makes a bid for freedom with a bunch of his wives, the warlord sends out his warboys to bring her back, with Max stripped to the front of one of the cars as a kind of giant human blood bag. Um, and what follows is basically a two-hour car chase across the desert. It's kind of like an explosive Benny Hill sequence yeah. without this sort of comedy saxophone music. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I would love to have a sort of contrarian view to set myself apart from the general yeah. like acclaim consensus on this, but I really liked it. This
0: movie is incredible. I had a fa- absolutely fantastic, like, fantastic time.
1: It's going to be hard to discuss a movie out just
0: sounding like we're being really hyperbolic, but it, like every quote you've read I completely lives up to it. Yeah, like, yeah. It is like another level of crazy. It's
1: incredible. <laughs> All the reviews are basically people talking about how much they were blown away and how it made, melts your face off and that kind of thing. And I think that's probably. I mean, you saw like Fast and Furious Seven. You look at that now, and you're like what the fuck? I is know. That piece of shit? Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> absolutely true. And you know, a lot of people watch Fast and Furious Seven and they're like, "Wow, the the cars uh, fly out of the sky and they, yeah, you know, they explode and the the cars drive fast and stuff." And then and you just look at it now and you're like, "That is just a piece of crap." <laughs> This is, th- yeah, this is basically the best possible answer to Fast and Furious 7 you can imagine. If there's any justice in this world, this would surpass it at the box office, but it obviously won't because that made all the money in the uh, world. In the world so no people, don't, people don't have any left yeah. to pay to go to see this one, unfortunately. Vin Diesel
0: has most of the world's uh, wealth.
1: Yeah, he's, most of the world's reserves of wealth are now, it's, either, it's like Vin Diesel and like Qatar. That's pretty much where they are. <laughs> yeah, the stunts are absolutely incredible. It it looks amazing. And they're all done like practically, which makes it um, especially, I think it's especially impressive to know that. And it also looks better. I mean, you can yeah. tell that it's not slathered in CGI. Completely. I mean, it looks really real. And when people talk about how visceral and crunching and powerful it is, that's not just the way that it's shot, but it's the fact that they did actually go to the desert and like drive just these cars really fast and, cars. Like, yeah, and blow them all up and stuff. It's like the first, there's kind of two main gigantic action sequences in it. And the first one is the one you might have seen the trailer with, like, the huge spiraling sandstorm and everything like that. And that is absolutely amazing. And I think that one of the most incredible things about the movie is the way that it manages to one-up that. Yeah. You know, a lot of movies have a really spectacular sequence in the middle and then they end on more of a damp squip. Um, A lot of films, like, run out of steam. I mean, John Wick came out recently. It's another kind of very stripped-down, down-the-line action film which people got really really excited about because they didn't have much expectations. But that one, you've seen everything amazing that it has to show you after the first hour. Um, and whereas in in this movie, like the final sequence is absolutely insane. Yeah, the, the the final sequence is a fitting climax to what has already been a lot of absolutely yeah. crazy stuff that you've amazing. seen. amazing. Mainly because of the they have these guys on sitting on poles. They've probably also seen the trailer that kind of sway back and forth, and they're weighted. And it's got this amazing. Like, it's working in so many different directions because like the cars are driving forwards, people are clambering all over them. All these people are swinging about on poles. It's been described as a kind of Cirque du Soleil meets like demolition derby type thing, which you know sounds silly, but it looks inc- it's incredible to watch. Yeah. You know, it just it's just absolutely spectacular to watch, and it's so much fun that you know it's like it's like great. You know, I'm on board with that. That's not a bad <laughs> thing for me. So I was also impressed by how much there is going on visually. It's not just about the um, choreography of all the stunts and everything like that. But it's a very, very inventive looking film and they put so much design into all the cars and all the different characters. And things are constantly appearing on screen for like a flick of a second. And they've all been it's like there's a lot it's very rich. You know, there's like a multitude of these bizarre characters and vehicles. Yeah. And all the cars are like there's some unholy combination of six different things from a junkyard that have been like thrown together. And uh, there's a huge amount of variety and, like, size and everything like that. And all these insane characters who have these um, very interesting names that you can see looking past <laughs> in the credits aren't really referred to. And they're they kind of in, invokes this idea that it's this whole rounded, strange person with a backstory that you don't really find out about. You just kind of see them, you just glimpse them.
0: Yeah, well, like, one of the um, great strengths of the movies is how, like, lean it is. Something, like Chris was saying, how you doesn't really have exposition or whatever. And it's like... It's somewhat broad strokes in the characters. Like the warlord is like pale, covered in like pusses and boils, drives a horrific spiky car. It's like that's obviously the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like he's got he's
1: got a creepy sounding voice yeah. and like he's got giant teeth. And yeah. the
0: hero is like a handsome dude who seems quite normal ish. It's yeah, like by comparison, yeah. yeah and like uh, the other hero is like this badass warrior woman. It's like you know, like I think he said he wanted to make a film. You could um, some Hitchcock quote where he's saying you make a film where in Japan they wouldn't need subtitles. You just there's, understand it, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely there's something quite pure about how uh, visually told everything is. Yeah, you can just follow everything. You know, you if you just didn't have any dialogue, the movie wouldn't be that unchanged in a way.
1: Yeah, like, n- I mean narratively, it is a very simple film. They they pretty much just, like, drive somewhere and then drive somewhere else. Yeah. And that's that's essentially the whole thing. But how they drive.
0: Is... But how they drive there
1: is absolutely wonderful. Um, but having said all that, I think that um, although there's not a whole lot of narrative there, it's quite neat the way that it's handled. Mm, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you're not watching it for, like, waiting for the incredible plot twist at the end, but it's just not that kind of movie. You know, it doesn't need that. But it, But it kind of hints at all these... Um, that there's more detail there that you're just not seeing because the movie doesn't have time for that stuff. Well, there's that one bit where they go through this area where there's these crazy people covered in rags on stilts wandering through this muddy landscape. Why not? And it's like, yeah, I'm (laughs) sure there's something going on there. And I don't know. I don't even care. Don't even tell me about it. But uh, one of the discussions people are having on this movie as referenced in the correspondence we've had so far is the feminism one of the advanced things you heard about it is all these crazy men's rights activists who are just basically angry internet men, and they're up in arms because it's uh, they they found it to be too feminist or something like that. I don't know,
0: they're mad, aren't they?
1: And uh, since then, there's been some backlash with people saying that actually it's not that feminist. Um, what do you think? Did you did you think do you think it qualifies as a feminist movie?
0: Yeah, I think so, definitely. I agree. I think well, like one of the um, themes of the movie is uh, the dissembling of the patriarchy, which has like heavily implied pretty much said has caused all the mess in the first place it's like, yeah, it's you like know, who killed the world Who killed the lines world and, it's, and obviously... it's like obviously the men yeah yeah and um one of the points about the movie is like they got to rescue these brides what's kind of i think was really smart about the movie is the way they are the macguffin they're like they're objects for this warlord but they're also slightly objectified by the plot because they are the cargo yeah but exactly. then over the course of the movie their characters emerge and they uh, are really well-rounded characters. And they become
1: more. They become participants in the action rather. Yeah. Than just...
0: And there's one uh, great scene. You might want to cut this. I don't know. But like where the evil warlord has got his rifle trained on Charlie's Theron, and uh, one of the wives opens the door and puts herself between her and the rifle, the shot. And it's like, oh, it's such a smart little moment because he's u- she's using his objectification of her as he just sees her as like uh, a beautiful object against uh, uh, him. Right, and, and she won't also... she won't shoot because yeah, and yeah, it also he gives shoot, her right. like a bit of agency. She's like, oh, she's not just an object by doing that, but I was like, oh, yeah. that's such a smart little moment. Yeah, yeah, I and agree.
1: Well, one of the things that's come up in a couple of reviews like Mark Kermode's review, he's probably one of the more negative like mainstream critics about the movie. And one of the things that he said is that for all its opposed feminism, these female characters, the ones who are the the wives, who um they're all like super beautiful models and he describes them as looking like they're in a sort of Vogue cover shoot and they're in these muslin bikinis and, yeah. and that kind of thing. And I, I can understand that to an extent, but I don't think it's that piercing a criticism. It really only applies to the first shot when you see them, which is the, there's a sort of momentary pause in the mayhem and there's a sort of wide shot of them all standing around in a crowd and it's kind of hazy. And it, yeah, I mean, you know, it looks a little bit like, look at this group of beautiful women. Yeah. But first of all, I think you should note like, what they're actually doing in that scene, which is cutting off their chains with bolt cutters. And also after that one shot... That is the last that the last anything is ever made of it. I mean, there, there are no, like, really? in, um, to mention John Wick again, in John Wick there's a random, like, woman bum shot for, like, literally no other reason than, like, that's this kind of movie. And then Fast and Furious 7 is obviously littered with, like, people and yeah, women yeah. In, in bikinis for no reason whatsoever. And this movie doesn't have anything anything like that. I mean, it's got these five model women in it, and they're, like, relatively scantily clad because they're in the desert, but it doesn't make anything of it and they get increasingly dirty and desperate and
0: it also like it doesn't um it's not like a, a leering camera move. It's not like, oh, cool, look at these women. No, it's more almost like a sort of weird surreal moment because everyone in that movie up to the point have been disgusting, oil-clad, genetic freaks, and like he <laughs> wakes up and is like suddenly like there's some something out of like a Greek myth. He's yeah, like, what's yeah. going on? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the sort of tone of the scene. Yeah, and it's not, followed not by not this like
1: hectic It's followed women. by a sort of another moment of like hectic action as well, where they're all kind of running about.
0: I don't know what yeah, storytelling point of view. It's just it's just more interesting that they're women.
1: Yeah, like, It's just like, that's not in every movie. I, I think that what qualifies the movie to be described as feminist rather than just a movie which isn't sexist is that it, not only the, the, the women are like, portrayed well, like they're done well in the film, but there is also obvious feminist themes in the movie. The yeah. whole thing about like, women like fighting back against their chains and, and uh, attacking this caricature of a sort of ridiculous ultra-macho patriarchy. There's, a, there's an obvious feminist theme there. Well, one of the things that I read about the movie is that George Miller was saying that they had this idea about um, the plot of these uh, wives of this warlord being um, like this attempted rescue and then he comes after them because they need a reason to generate a chase so that all the cars can explode. And he realized that if it was Max rescuing the woman, then like one man stealing five women from another man, it's a different kind of story. Well, that's why um, Charlize Theron's character exists to be a woman rescuing other women, which is obviously... A more appealing story than a man doing it
0: so this movie's great
1: it's brilliant you should go see it it's probably the most fun you'll have sitting down at least in the month of May and I cannot recommend it highly enough Yesterday I bumped into Imelda and She was out with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting so She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda when you're in the mood What do you listen to?
0: So one of the hotly anticipated films this year is the Steve Jobs' Boyle pick written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle's Jobs. Danny Boyle's Jobs. That's the, that's the uh, official title. <laughs> starring Michael Fassbender as Steve Jobs and... Seth Rogen doing a Jonah Hill serious role thing, playing Steve playing Steve Wozniak and charting
1: uh, Jobs' as a success from creating the Mac, creating all the phones, iPhones from his from his humble origins as a simple phone repairman to global domination as a killer nerd. Anyway, there was a little teaser trailer released this week, which yeah. um, featured some. Typical Sorkin-esque dialogue. Let's yeah, it's written by Aaron Sorkin, who's obviously the best writer in the world. <laughs> <laughs> All the lines are gold. You know? um, Every line is just begging to be turned into a meme, You know, to be written over a picture of a cat or something. It's like a cool thing a cat would say <laughs> in a meme. You're right. Let's have a listen to uh, some of the trailer lines. Well, it must have been easy to make this trailer, right? Yeah. I mean, you're looking at the script for Jobs, you're like, this is just zing after zing. So the trailer is going to be his head... And just some of the zingers, because <laughs> that's what's going to sell. First of all, Fassbender's going to be, he's a beautiful, sexy man, isn't he? Oh, just God. like the real Steve Jobs, he's an absolute sex icon. And so we'll just have a, have some fastbender and, you know, a few of the zingers. He might be able to sense that. Uh, <laughs> a, little, a little sarcasm. <laughs> we're a bit, we're Sorkin' sceptics.
0: Yeah, I think all his characters sound exactly the same. Yeah. He's a bit annoying. They're all kind of smug, know-it-alls. I, I think
1: f- I feel like he'd be a terrible dinner party guest.
0: Yeah. I like Social Network because they're supposed to be smug, nodal it assholes, but like he writes those characters really well, and he didn't change it at all. But in his other movies, they're supposed to be heroes,
1: and yeah. David Fincher was like, "This is—he doesn't do what you normally do. They're actually the heroes, but they're actually the villains." Well, there's a Straight. there's an argument to be made that the direction of the Social Network by David Fincher is kind of undercutting the script a little bit. Yeah, the, that's why it's so good. All the characters are, you know, smug, uh, self-absorbed pricks, like many sorkin characters are, except the. The way the movie is made is this kind of dark, spooky, misanthropic world of you know of these morally horrible... bankrupt people, yeah exactly exactly, so
0: yeah, basically he it's interesting to see this sort of trailer because he only writes trailer lines, it feels like every line is setting up someone to give it like a witty put down, and uh we thought of our own little sorkin lines, and we're going to try them
1: out some suggestions. What's your, what's your first talk in line? Okay, uh, this is two characters, right? One of them is in he, he has to have two characters. Yeah, he has someone to bounce Someone's off. Someone's got to set it up.
0: You mean this thing can process 100 RAM? one hundred thousand million
1: RAM. Yeah. Yeah. Sooner How about then. a scene, scene they're talking about what goes into microchips, and Job says something like, uh, Silicon is the second most abundant element in the Earth's crust. Most of the time, we just use it to make dildos. (laughs) Ah, that line.
0: How about... This is so incredibly great. What is, Steve? Everything I do. (laughs) Okay. How about... If you had invented Max, you would've invented Max. Interesting enough, that's obviously riffing on the if you had invented Facebook, you have invented Facebook, which is a good line from the social network, Yeah, which is actually from the courtroom transcript That's something Mark Zuckerberg actually said.
1: Not a Sorkin line. So if you're going around thinking Sorkin wrote that line, think again. You know what would make your line better is if it was talking to a person called Max. If yeah. you'd invented Max, Max, <laughs> you'd have invented Max. Okay, this is the Sorkin feed line Daniel's going to give me. We've got the best technology in the business. We don't need technology. We need jobs. Say, um, there also should be something about... That's a, um, a macro-economy joke.
0: Uh, America and thinking big and dreaming. Yeah, I was thought this...
1: For me, I thought the Sorkin formula was just a random, like, fact with a number in it that no one would ever remember, like, off the cuff, and then just a non-sequitur afterwards, you know? Yeah. You can make this all edit. Let's edit together, right, Katie? This'll be great, Katie. This'll be great, Katie. That's more of a... that's more be of so a, incredibly great. That's more of a prayer uh, than a claim. Anyway, listeners... Um, we, we have to go. Sorry. Have to go. Sorry. I've, deli- I've cooked a delicious salmon uh, and potato al Forno. I like this thing of ending every podcast with what we're about to eat after recording it.
0: Sam's brought some wine. Is this... Um, Red who's wine or fish. Mm.
1: Who's... <laughs> <laughs> who's Salmon and uh, Salmon al Forno? Oh, Rest- this is... Which movie star came up with this one? Uh, Jamie Oliver. Jamie Oliver. The star, the star of uh, um, Jamie Oliver's uh, culinary adventures. Yeah, that's the something. one. Some shit like that. Yeah. He must have cameoed in a movie, right? He must have done. He must have. Surely he did. Surely he did. Surely he did. Surely you can't I think he's got a cameo in Jobs. Um, (laughs) He plays Bill Gates. All right. Good night and goodbye, (laughs) listeners. You opened the gates, but I made the jobs.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) he says to Bill Gates. Yeah.